So we're in a series called You Asked For It, and uh, man, you asked for a doozy. I'll tell you what. I, uh, <laughs> I had a plan. I had a plan what I wanted to speak about. I was pretty excited about it, and I tried to find at least one person that asked for it. <laughs> there was two. There was two. Man, I had this vision. I'm like going to preach on waiting on God, and we're just going to like get flowy with the violinist, and sort of going to wait on God. And that's what I wanted to preach on. But only two of you asked for that. And so a lot of you asked for this. End times, end times, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, new world order, revelation, end times, end times, end times, revelation, revelation, end times, end times, rapture, knowing the signs of the times, book of revelation, prophecy and end times, revelation, revelation, end times, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so let me just start with a few thoughts. Normally, I would not preach on this. Normally, I just would be like, who cares? <laughs> Normally, my attitude would be similar to what J.O. said to you the first week of this series, where he's like, you ain't going to get it. And um, normally, my attitude is, why don't we just focus on what's going on right now? But maybe I've changed Maybe the world has changed, but something changed, and I think I'm preaching on this for two reasons. Number one, you asked for it. It was the third most asked for subject, and number two, I just, I, I think that I see you. I think that I see, I think hear you differently than the past. I, I think that maybe in the past, it might have just been my perspective, but I think in the past it was more... Just like people maybe getting worked up about a lot of stuff that like didn't actually make a difference. But I think what I feel now is that we're really thinking about this because the world is getting really weird. And things are happening and we're genuinely, I think you're just genuinely wondering like what is going on and what should we expect and how should we live? And so I'm going to preach on... uh, Revelation and end times. <laughs> wow. And uh, this is the title of the message today. But what I do know is, but what I do know is, which sends the message that there may be some things that I don't know. So that's true. Let me give you some preliminary thoughts here, and then we're going to jump into one scripture. Uh, number one, this is a secondary issue. It's not a salvation issue. You can be saved, you can know Jesus, you can live for him right now, and you can have the opinion, I don't know, I'm gonna let God take care of it. It is most certainly not an issue for us to divide over. Number two, great theologians have differed greatly on these subjects, and there, it's not just one subject, there's multiple subjects, and great theologians throughout history have differed, and there are people that have different opinions even in this church, amongst our staff, and our eldership. 
Number three, when it comes to theological belief and the natural action outcome, we must remember that there are some things that we can understand, or yes, there are some things that we just can't understand about God. There are some things that we can understand, but maybe it's not totally clear. And then there are some things that we most certainly can understand, and we need to have our action reflect what it is that's clearly true. And so when it comes to end time belief and eschatology, it might be any one of those three. Number four, for the academic type people in the room, I'm not going to give you everything you want. (laughs) On the other hand, for the non-academic people, you might get bored. And I'm going to give you more than you want. So, wherever you're at on the spectrum, please have grace on me. Remember, I didn't want to preach on this. So it's not my choice, it was yours. <sighs> Lastly, we're going to primarily focus on what we do know, because there are some things that we do know. Okay, here we go. Let's jump into one scripture. We're going to read Revelation chapter 21. Or no, I think it's, yeah, chapter 21, verses 1 through... How many verses are we going to read? One through eight. That's what it is. All right. Here we go. This is at least one thing that we do know. Friends, this is what we have to look forward to. No matter how it works out, no matter if you knew this piece of it or didn't know this piece and what takes place, no matter what joy or suffering you might go through, at the end of the day, at the end of this earth, at the, in through eternity, this is what we get. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is the key, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He's going to get us back to his plan from the very beginning, that God was with man. A new Eden. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going to face, no matter what this world goes through, there will be a time where those who serve this God as king and are with this God will not experience pain and torment nor tribulation nor any other struggle of this life. We will be with him in paradise forever. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. You can't purchase it. To the one who conquers will have heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. 
As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All right, let's pray one more time. Lord, I just, we recognize that some of this stuff is a little hard to understand. It, it, it maybe doesn't seem always clear, but we know that every word in this scripture is breathed out by you and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we ask that you would speak to us the truths that you do want us to understand and that we would, above all, fix our eyes on what we do know Fix our heart on what we do know and let it transform our actions that we might serve you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is what we're gonna do today. First, I'm gonna take you to college, then I'm gonna take you to a coffee shop. But this isn't like university, it's more like junior college, okay? (laughs) Okay, it'll it'll be like 101. Um, and I say it like this because uh, we're just going to talk. I'm, gonna, I'm just going like, to lay out most of it for you as briefly and simply as I can. Um, I'm not probably so much going to make an argument for what you should believe. I'm just going to lay out some of the basic beliefs really simplistically. I get that there's more to it. And then I want to sit with you like a pastor would at a coffee shop and just say like, hey, I don't know about all that, but what I do know is this. So that's where I'm going today. Here we go. This is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about revelation. We're going to talk about eschatology. We're going to talk about covenant theology and dispensationalism. We're going to talk about all the millennialisms, pre, post, and all millennialism. And we're going to talk about the rapture and tribulation. Okay? And we're going to do it quickly. So here we go. Let's get to the first one. Oh, 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 take a picture of this. Oh, if you want my notes, email Chantel. She'll send them to you. Um, These are the key passages. I'm not going to read them all. You might take a picture of this real quick. Leave it up for a second. These would be the key passages that basically all end times stuff comes out of. Um, And I'm not like really teaching from these. I'm teaching the, the, the basic theological views today. But these are the main passages that they come from. So the Olivet Discourse is in Matthew. The Thessalonians is mainly about what what one might call the rapture and beliefs around that. Uh, Second Thessalonians, Daniel, the prophecy in the Old Testament is about a lot of historical stuff, but there's a lot of prophetic in the book of Daniel that a lot of people believe has to do with uh, end times and ties in with the book of Revelation. So you could could read those later. Um, Ezekiel has some stuff, the Gog and Magog situation. And then Revelation, basically the whole book. So let's start with Revelation. <laughs> Just so you know what it is. Um, the book of Revelation is, uh, is written by John, the disciple John. We believe that it would have been written near the end of his life when he's on the island of Patmos. He would have been the last living disciple at this point. Every other one of them gave their life for their faith other than Judas, of course, took his own life or fell over headlong in the field. Either way, he betrayed the Savior and he died. And then John died. We don't really know how. He, he probably was martyred too, but they at least let him live to an old age on Patmos. And then the rest of them, they all were martyred for their faith, okay? So 
we at least know that you can follow Jesus, be an apostle, and die for your faith. So if you don't call that tribulation, I don't know what is. But nevertheless, uh, the book of Revelation is a prophetic vision that the disciple John got, and it's filled with all kinds of crazy stuff. And people have argued about, well, was it literal? Was it symbolic? What, what exactly did it mean? And I don't know, but I'll tell you today what I do know. Let's move on. Eschatology. Okay, this means the study of the end times. You might hear the term the eschaton. That is the end times. You might hear the last days or the end times or the final days. All of those terms tie into what would be the study of the end times or eschatology or the reality of the last days. You probably have heard uh, preachers say, we're living in the end times right now. And you know what? I kind of think we are. But to be honest with you, people have probably said that all throughout history. If you were living in Nazi Germany in, in, the, in the middle of the Holocaust, you most definitely thought you were living in the end times, right? People have believed this for a long time. And so... I don't know. There are definitely things that are written in Scripture that are happening in, in, in society, and it's like, man, the world is getting crazy. Uh, but I don't know. But today I'm going to tell you what I do know. All right, let's jump into some of the deep stuff. Let's go. <laughs> Covenant theology versus dispensationalism. Raise your hand if you've heard of those terms. Okay. Just a few. Cool. So here's the basic framework, and if, if you're uh, tuning out, just stick with me, because you'll learn something. <laughs> These two are basic frameworks for how believers understand, uh, basically, how God is going to work out his plan, and specifically, God's relationship with humanity, and in particular, God's relationship with the nation state of Israel and the, Jew the racially Jewish people, okay? So, covenant theology says this. Covenant theology basically sees God's relationship with all of humanity through the lens of his covenants, his agreements that he's made with, with humans throughout history, and it basically sees God interacting with humanity through the lens of his covenants. So it's, it's based on those covenants and those agreements uh, that God has made with humanity throughout history. These covenants are seen as progressive, building on one another, and ultimately accumulating in the new covenant through Jesus Christ. Covenant theology emphasizes continuity between the Old and the New Testament, and this is, this is the key piece. It sees uh, the church of Jesus as the fulfillment of biblical Israel. So you may have heard the term replacement theology. You maybe have never heard that, but um, it probably wouldn't really be so much replacement, but fulfillment theology. In other words, that God made a covenant with Abraham and what became the people of Israel or what we would know as racially Jewish people, which that word comes from the line of Judah, Judah Jewish, and that, that those are God's people. But covenant theology has the argument that the scripture teaches us that God's real people are anybody, Jew or Gentile, that receive Jesus as the Messiah and in faith, and that that is God's people. 
So the fulfillment of all of God's promises, covenant theology would teach, would be what we call the church, composed of both Jew and Gentile, anybody that's in the body of Christ. Okay? Dispensationalism, on the other hand, sees God's relationship with humanity primarily based on distinct periods in history or dispensations and during which God deals with humanity in different ways. Dispensationalism emphasizes the discontinuity between the Old and the New Testaments and sees a future fulfillment of God's promises in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ and a literal um, fulfillment to the nation-state of Israel and the racially Jewish people. So these two ways of viewing how God is going to fulfill his plan for this earth are actually quite different from one another. And they have practical implications for, in particular, how we might look to the nation state of Israel as it sits today and how we would view Jewish people. Now, I'm... I'm not going to make an argument, but I will say this, as my, just my opinion, that, no, this isn't really my opinion. <laughs> we are grafted into Israel. Israel is God's people. He, they are his chosen people. Now, whether or not you think, as a dispensationalist would, that God has some special or different plan for them in the end... The point is, they were his first son, and we're grafted in. Now, the scripture talks about anybody could be cut off of the root if they don't believe, and it is true. There are people, both Jew and Gentile, that do not receive Jesus as the Messiah. And at the end of the day, you must go through Christ to be saved. But in no way, shape, or form should anybody ever have an attitude of... uh, hating on the Jews or, or uh, persecuting the Jews or anything that would take place in that sense, which is still taking place today with it. Fair? Okay. Am I killing it? Okay, thank you. You guys asked for this. This could be like a whole, like, course. Okay, so... Hopefully that was sort of simple for you to understand. Covenant theology, dispensationalism, basically how God is going to work it out and how God sees the church and the people of Israel. All right, let's move on. Thank you. All right, all the millennialisms. There's basically four... (laughs) Moving on. Okay. Okay. Raise your hand if you've heard of premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism. Okay, some of you. Perfect. So these, these would be the different ways of viewing essentially what's kind of written about in Revelation chapter 20, which is millennialism is, is basically the thought of the millennium or a thousand-year reign. So Revelation 20 talks about Christ coming and reigning for a thousand years. Now people, of course, as I stated earlier, view not only Revelation, but other parts of the scripture. Are we to read this like literally, 
uh, grammatically, historically, or are we to read it symbolically? We have to understand that the scriptures are different genres of literature, and so how are you reading it? Um, but these concepts extend, they come into play with the thousand-year reign of Christ, but they kind of extend beyond that. So let me just sort of try and explain these to you, and then we'll move on. I don't know. You'll come up with an opinion. So um, premillennialists can be divided into two basic groups. That would be classic classic premillennialism and dispensational premillennialism, okay? So classic... I can't talk. <laughs> Classic pre-mills, uh, which has been a belief that has stem, stemmed all the way from the church fathers, basically believe that Jesus will return and establish his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. Now, this might be symbolic or literal. There's different opinions about that. However, it does not hold to the idea that there is a secret rapture before the great tribulation. So a a classic premillennialist would not believe that there's gonna be some taking away of the church. We'll talk about what the rapture is in a second. The historical perspective understands that that the new people of God are the church and therefore the promises of God Uh, that he made to the nation of Israel will be fulfilled in the history of the church both before and after the second coming of Christ. Some classic pre-mills also point out that there will be a revival amongst the Jews before the Lord's return. So that's classic pre-millennialism, that Christ will come pre or before some either literal or or symbolic thousand-year millennial reign, okay? Dispensational premillennialism is a little different. It holds uh, that there's a different historical version of premillennialism, and it believes that Christ will rapture his church or take the church out before the great tribulation, and that at that time, God will do something new or reintroduce some way of interacting with the nation state of Israel. The Jews will preach the gospel and many Israelite Gentiles will come to Israelites and Gentiles will come to faith in Christ before his return. He will literally fulfill the promises made to Israel in the Old Testament in the millennium in the in the millennium and the nation will reign throughout the whole earth. So again if if you lean towards dispensational belief then your eyes are on Jerusalem Your eyes are on Israel right now because you're watching what's taking place in the actual land because you're looking for literal prophecies to be fulfilled in the nation state, okay? Post-millennialism is a stark contrast with premillennialism. It believes that the, 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 the millennium... This is such a different way for me to preach. Thank you for your grace. It believes that the millennium occurs before Jesus' second coming. That there's time of great prosperity in the kingdom of God. They are inherently optimistic. The world as they see it is an ongoing golden process of progress. 
So there was a whole lot more post-millennialists prior to World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, because we sort of felt like we were coming into this, this renaissance, this every, everything was getting better. Some of us have come to believe that maybe not everything's necessarily getting better. <laughs> so the popularity of this particular belief has dwindled <laughs> over time. Nevertheless, it is a belief that, that there's sort of this progression, this reign of Christ, things are getting better, and then he will come. All millennialism, with the, the you know, it, it would be like the word atheist, just meaning not, not a God, or not, there's not a millennium in a sense. It seems, uh, it, it sees that uh, it would be unfair to say that all mills do not believe in a millennium. They simply believe that it's symbolic. It's a heavenly reality, not an earthly one. Christ is ruling right now over his church and in heaven alongside the saints. Satan is currently bound in the sense that he cannot prevent people from hearing the gospel and believing in Christ. Like premillennialism, all millennialism enjoyed good standing amongst the church fathers, but unlike the premill stance, uh, all mills are persuaded that Christ will not establish a thousand-year reign after his second coming. Once he comes back, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? I'm sure you memorized all that. So there will be a test at the end. Okay, let's move on. The rapture and the tribulation. You asked for this. You would find very few scriptures about a rapture. Potentially in First Thessalonians chapter. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and Matthew 24, there's a concept of a snatching away, a rapture, a, a, a snatching of the church out of here. Now the problem is, if you were to just read the Bible... <laughs> Without, like, somebody telling you, I just don't know that you would really get the, the modern cultural view of rapture that we all have come to love through great books and movies like Left Behind. It just isn't, like, really there in the scripture. <laughs> If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. Basically, the idea of a rapture wasn't just like not believed. It wasn't even an idea to be believed until like the middle of the 19th century. Like, like it wasn't just like the church fathers thought, no, I don't believe in that. They wouldn't have even thought of it. It just wasn't something that, historically speaking, was talked about until a guy by the name of John Nelson Darby pretty much introduced this idea through a vision of these girls and wrote a Bible and then left behind, and we've kind of run with it in society, and this idea that, like, it might happen, and then your clothes are going to be sitting there, and, like, all of, all of us will be gone, 
I was about to say half of us, hopefully not half of us, but you know, like all, all of us will just, poof, we're like disappeared. <laughs> I, heard, I heard a story of like back in the 90s, like this was super popular in like this one church. Back in the 90s, we like used a lot of fear tactics to lead people to Jesus. So this one church, like they literally like brought the kids into youth group and then like they set out like clothes and they like convinced the kids that like everybody that really was a Christian was gone. And they're like, no, I didn't make it. Oh, Jesus, please save me. Anyway. So there's concepts of a of, there's concepts of tribulation or hard times or struggle all throughout the scripture. All throughout. And we know that what the disciples went through was persecution. We know that Nero dipped people like you and I in oil and stuck us on stakes in his garden and lit us on fire for his garden parties. We know that Jesus told us in this life, you will go through trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. But there's also in the scripture, specifically in Revelation, and I think Daniel like talks of what, Daniel's really more like, you gotta kind of work that out, but a seven, you've heard of this, a seven year tribulation. And so there, there are numerous beliefs in, I would say, orthodox theology of people that believe that there will be a literal seven years of specific tribulation, and then there's questions as to whether or not believing Christians or the church will either be raptured or taken out of this life prior to the seven years, which is pre-tribulation theology, in the middle of the seven years, which would be mid-tribulation theology. So some people believe that we would go through three and a half years of some form of severe tribulation, and then before really the wrath of God is poured out on, on the earth, we would be raptured at that point. Or some people believe that after the seven years, there would be a rapture. Um, and then again, a lot of people don't really believe that there's going to be a rapture in the sense that the church is going to be taken. And part of the reason for that is because we don't believe in a third coming of Jesus. We believe in a second coming of Christ. And I'll just say this. I believe, and the scripture tells us, that when Christ comes, it will be obvious. All the earth will see him coming. And so here is just my opinion. This is one piece I'll tell you my opinion. My opinion at this point is that, it, that we will be maybe, as it were, raptured and in an instant in the clouds with Christ and immediately back here with him for his reign. But nevertheless, there are many people and theologians that have different beliefs on these issues. So pick one. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, all the theologians in the house, you're mad at me. Let me just say one more thing about preterism. We, we have a, a, a partial preterist um, on our eldership. I don't know, maybe I am one, I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. Um, preterism is the belief, either in part or in full, that mainly what, has, what was written about in the book of Revelation has already taken place, either in part or in full. So some people 
If you're a full preterist, you literally believe that we're living heaven on earth right now. Now, I personally find that kind of hard to believe. <laughs> COVID. But anyway. Um, but I think there's, there is a great argument for what would be called partial preterism, which, which is the belief that a lot of what John was writing was actually like not meant for some like 2,000, 3,000, however many years later, which is the time we're living in, but he was writing to the Christians that were just about to go through what we know they did go through, which was extreme, brutal, deadly persecution under Nero and Domitian. What is it? Domitian, thank you. Which are these terrible uh, Roman rulers at the time. And so um, the preterist view is that the tribulation and a lot of these things that are written about in Revelation have already taken place, but they, they typically wouldn't believe that Christ, no, they don't believe that Christ has actually returned and that the kingdom, the millennial reign or the kingdom of God, the new heavens and new earth has been established, okay? Was that okay? All to say, do some more research. Okay, let's, let's go to the coffee shop. Here we go. I just want to give you six things that I do know. Um, let me just say this before I jump in. It's, as a preacher, and, and I, would, I would think definitely to a degree any Christian, we ought to study the word and show ourselves approved. And we ought to, if there's something to be known, we ought to, to try and know it. Not out of legalism, but out of response to relationship. And most certainly a teacher and a preacher. I know that the weight is on me. I'm going to be judged more harshly. I get that. But I think that there's also like, there's got to be room for us not to know everything. And part of the reason I felt released to preach on this, part of me didn't want to preach on it because I just don't really like to preach about it. Part of me didn't want to preach on it because I think sometimes we get caught up so much and we should like focus on preaching the gospel right now because people are dying in sin and going to hell right now and whatever happens in the end, part of that. And part of it is because I, I just to be honest with you, I don't know that I fully understand everything. But one of the reasons why I decided to preach on this other than the fact that so many of you asked for it is I was at a gathering, like a, 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 birth, uh, a birthday party about a week ago and somebody asked me like, because they heard that we went to Israel last year. What did you think about Israel? And what do you think about all you know, this stuff? And I was telling them what I thought. And part of what I was telling them was, I don't know. And at the end of the conversation, and this is a couple that we have been in some severe theological arguments before about subjects that we really disagree upon. At the end of the, the discussion, which was really healthy and good, they said, you know, I just want you to know, like, we just want you to know we appreciate that you use the words, I don't know. And uh, that was meaningful to me. So I guess there's a sense that as a preacher, you should want me to know and I should know stuff. But I also felt like there was even something too, like you don't have to know everything and neither do I. But there are some things that we do know. So what should we do? Number one, we should be faithful to God. This is a message all throughout scripture and basically this is the message of our savior Jesus. He was faithful to his father to the end. 
He didn't want to go through it, but he went through it. Is there any way that this cup could pass before me? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. His life is a life of faithfulness to the call, and our life ought to be a life of faithfulness to what God has called us to. You see this all throughout the Bible and all throughout the book of Revelation in particular, that we are called to stay faithful to God no matter what happens, whether you think or you experience just a great golden age of joy and prosperity, or you actually go through tribulation and hard times, you, friends, are to stay faithful to God. Amen. Number two, we are to love God with all that we are. The greatest commandment, and this will never change no matter what happens in history, is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, period. That's what we are to do. Number three, we are to repent of sin and resist evil. If there is sin in your life and you recognize it, you need to come into an agreement with God and say, God, I recognize that this is wrong and I repent. That's not just confession, which is saying what it is, but it's repenting. It's changing your mind, turning 180 degrees and changing your actions. And we need to resist evil. This is written about in Revelation, specifically to some of the churches. You tolerate Jezebel. You tolerate sexual immorality. You tolerate this falsehood. You need to resist evil and you need to cast out the spirit of Jezebel. You need to get rid of sexual immorality and we're living in a time of syncretism and we're living in a time of embracing sin and we need to flee from it and resist it. And that's true no matter what you believe, pre-mill, post-mill, tribulation, rapture, any of that. It doesn't matter if you're living in sin right now, what's gonna happen then? In fact, if you're living in sin right now, you better watch out, you might not get raptured. All right, number four. That was a joke. We are to endure persecution. Well, I don't believe we're going to go through the seven years of tribulation. Okay. Hallelujah if we don't. But we all know that persecution is real right now to whatever degree. And praise God if we don't have to go through it more severely. But if we do, go through it with your faith. We, we have to understand that the early believers, they weren't just ready to die for their faith. They literally thought it was a privilege and a calling from God to be martyred. Like they felt like they were chosen by Jesus to suffer for him. What are you willing to go through for the man that hung on a tree for you? Because we're... We're ready to fold if somebody tears us up and down on, on social media. We bet, oh, I'm just, I don't know, where, I'm gonna get canceled. I hope that more persecution doesn't come, but I know this, far more persecution has been affecting our brothers and sisters in other nations for a long time than we've experienced. And we've been praying for them forever. We should be ready if it does come here. Now, now. We should fight for holiness and godliness in our land and with our laws. We should preach the gospel and try to build God's kingdom now, no matter what. But if persecution comes, endure it. Number five, we are to preach the gospel. Study everything that you want to study about the end times. But don't get so caught up in it or in anything else that we're not preaching to the gospel right here and right now, 
preaching the gospel to people right here and right now because people are dying and going to hell right now. And they will then if they don't know Jesus. So whether it's Jew or Gentile, we know that nobody comes to the Father except through Christ. So may we be faithful witnesses to his truth. And number six, whether you understand in full, whether you don't understand any of it, whether you understand in part, trust God's sovereignty. There are some things that we're just never going to get. There are some things that you could study and understand more, and man, this makes sense. Whatever happens, whatever's going to happen, trust in God. The victory is already won. The victory is secure. If you are in Christ, you have the victory. You will be with him forever. He will be your God. There will be a time when there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more struggling, no more tribulation. There are two things that you'll never be able to do the rest of eternity. Tell somebody about Jesus that doesn't know him. You'll never be able to do that again after this life. And suffer for him. Because we will not suffer when we're with him. So stay faithful and trust his sovereignty. All right, let me just close with a few thoughts. Thank you for bearing with me, having grace on me. I do not know exactly when Jesus will return. But what I do know is, he will. I do not know exactly how it will happen until he returns or when he returns. But what I do know is, we are called to stay faithful until the end, whenever the end is. I don't know exactly how we're going to be swept up or raptured. But what I do know is that when he comes, we will be with him forever. I don't know exactly the types of trouble, the types of persecution, the types of hardship, tribulation, three years, three and a half years, seven years, zero years. I don't know all the troubles that we will face. But what I do know is that no matter what we face, he is with us. The spirit wants to empower you. What I do know is that in Christ, you can endure whatever situation you find yourself in. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I do not know exactly what exactly is going to take place in the geographical location called modern-day Israel. I don't exactly know what's going to take place at the Temple Mount. And I don't exactly know, you know, if all that is something's going to happen in the nation state and with the racially Jewish people. I do know that God loves them and wants them to be in relationship with him just like everybody else. But what I do know is this, that Jesus is Yahweh's provision. Jesus is Yeshua, the Mashiach. He is the Messiah of the Israelite people. 
He is the Messiah and the Savior for both Jew and Gentile, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And lastly, I may not know all of this stuff. You may not know all of this stuff. But what we do know is this, that we should follow him now And before the end comes, we should give our whole life to him whenever the end might come. It doesn't matter because we're called to live for him right now.